So this morning we are continuing our series on gospel stories. And just to kind of give you guys a recap of where we've been so far, we're doing this to start our year off. We're going to be talking about different kinds of stories all year long. I'm just going to come over here, center myself a little bit. Um, and we're starting off by telling stories of different ways that the gospel has been impacting our lives and how Jesus has been working in our lives and showing us the truth of who he is in our own lives first. And so we've been through a couple of different stories, and this morning we're going to talk about plans. I don't know if you know this about me or not. I'm a planner. I really like to plan. And ironically, this is probably the sermon that I've spent the least amount of time preparing for. So <laughs> it's funny how God works that way. But when Ken and I go on vacation or go on a trip somewhere together, we have very, very different methods of packing, which tells you who is the planner in our family and who is not. Because Ken will just throw everything together the night before into, or the morning of into a bag, and he's never missing anything, which drives me crazy because I have this two-and-a-half-week process that I go through in order to pack. And it starts with making a list. And then after you've made the list, there's the pre-packing where you throw everything in a pile. And then you determine what you're missing and what you need to go shopping for. And then you go and you buy it. And then you complete the pre-final packing where you go through and you pull out a few things. And then there's the final packing where you make everything all fit into the bag. And this is my process. God brings opposites together <laughs> to challenge each other. <laughs> so if that's, <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> so the other reason that I like to plan things is because I have a control issue that we're working on. <laughs> but when it comes to my life, I make plans for my life. I make plans for where it's going to go. And the verse that God has brought to me over and over and over again as he teaches me this is Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. I got my plans, and God has his. And his plans are much better and much more thorough than what my plans are. And sometimes they conflict, and my plan gets thrown out. So we're going to tell a few stories about how that has happened so far. It's mostly me stumbling and him guiding my stumble onto the path that he has. So I like plans. So this is kind of a story about some of the ways in which I have been wrong a lot. Have you ever used the phrase, I will never? I've been very wrong most of the times that I've used that phrase. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And a lot of the ways in which my plans go wrong are because of my naivety or just kind of my lack of experience. And then I actually get into the situation that I thought was the perfect plan for my life. And God shows me, yeah, you don't really know all that much about what the perfect plan for your life is, right? So spoiler alert, where this story is going. I live in Canton, Ohio. I work at Altman Hospital as a pharmacist. And I'm married to my wonderful husband, Ken, a pharmacist in the ER. That's also an interesting part. So kind of the different points uh, that I hope you guys take home from this today are that God has a plan for your life, definitely, but you're not going to fully understand it, this side of heaven, and his plan is for your glo his glory, ooh, for his glory and not your comfort. All right, so we're going to focus kind of on the last few years of pharmacy school for me, because this is a time that I was making a lot of plans for where my life was going to go and where my career was going to go. And they were all not what God had for me at all. So when I started pharmacy school, my plan was to work for a large chain pharmacy, maybe in like an inner city with a high immigrant population, because I kind of liked Spanish, and I thought I was going to double major in that. 
Double majoring is hard. <laughs> so that didn't happen. And then the two things that I said I will never, ever do this in my career were research and teach. Two things I'm never going to do. And so then when I started pharmacy school, I got an internship at a large corporate retail pharmacy, community pharmacy, and figured out that I didn't really like that so much. The reality of what the day-to-day -day life in community pharmacy is was not the reality that I wanted for my career. I have a lot of respect. I have so much respect for my fellow pharmacists and for the techs that work at community pharmacies, but it was so not for me. It was not what I wanted for my life. So in the middle of me kind of fighting with this, well, I shouldn't quit on this because this is where my career is supposed to go, then there was an opportunity, a divine appointment that was brought along for an opening in one of my professor's labs doing research. And I was like, well, surely that can't be worse than what I'm doing now. So sure, I'll give it a try. And it turns out I really kind of like it. So that's the first thing that I said I was never going to do, that God showed me, you know, this is actually something that, that you enjoy and that I've made you for and made your mind to be able to do. And that led to another research job. And in the meantime, I'd also picked up a teaching assistant job working with another professor. And I kind of liked both of these things. I liked the different kinds of research, and I liked teaching, and I thought this was kind of cool. And suddenly I found myself thinking that the two things I said I was never going to do in my career were actually the two things that I kind of wanted to do with my life. And I had another a school internship throughout this time, AKA unpaid. I was paying to get this work experience. And it was at a hospital, and I kind of liked it. And looking back on it now, it was in an ER, <laughs> working in the ER with the pharmacist that was there, and I kind of really liked it. I still at that point didn't realize that I really liked ER pharmacy because I can be thick-headed sometimes when I have my own plan of how this is supposed to go. But it sort of started me down the process of, well, maybe I want to pursue a career. Hospital pharmacy, academia, when you're a, a teaching pharmacist, you also tend to have sort of a clinical position on the side where you also go and you work in the community. And that way it kind of helps you maintain knowing how to apply the different things that you're teaching and, and helps out both practices. And then you also have students that come through on those unpaid, they are paying to have them experience and you help mentor and precept them through that. So I was learning that there's multiple different kinds of pharmacist jobs and to do the kinds that I wanted to do, you had to do this thing called residency. And we're really most familiar with residency in medicine for physicians because they have to do a three-year residency before they can go and they can actually become a practicing physician on their own. So they get their, their MD and then they go through these three years of intensive training called residency and then they're able to practice medicine without someone sort of looking over their shoulder all the time. And for pharmacists, it's not really required in order for us to practice, but if you want to have certain kinds of jobs, it's something that you really need to go through. You need to go through that intense training in order to then be able to get the kinds of jobs that you want. They say one year of residency is like three years of experience outside of residency. It's a lot of hours <laughs> that you put in at the hospital or wherever you are. So clinics have these, like some doctor's offices and clinics have pharmacy residents. Hospitals have pharmacy residents. Some community pharmacies have pharmacy residents. Everybody, everybody who pursues a residency in pharmacy does at least one year, and then you can do another year to specialize. So you have transplant second-year pharmacies, emergency medicine, critical care, management. There's a bunch of different kinds of second-year intensive experiences that you can have, infectious disease. So my new plan, I want to research. I want to teach, I kind of like the hospital, 
So to make all these three things happen in one career, I'm gonna do a residency at a large academic medical center, because research, and then I'm gonna become a clinical faculty member at a school of pharmacy. Yeah, remember when I said I was never gonna research and I was never gonna teach? <laughs> God had a different plan. And in the middle of all of this, I also had some very strong opinions about the way my love life was gonna work. So actually about a month and a half before meeting Ken, I, told, I was in a faculty member's office and I told them there was no way I was gonna be married by the time I finished pharmacy school. We got married one week to the day after I graduated. <laughs> I also said, I'm never gonna do online dating because that's just for people who have completely failed at being able to find someone the normal way. Ken and I met on eHarmony. When I started online dating, I did, I did the free version of all this because I didn't want to pay for it. And I was like, oh yeah, it's okay, I can do the free version because pictures aren't all that important. Why do I need to see pictures? It's the personality that matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong, I was wrong about that. <laughs> um, I also had this, this plan in my mind that uh, I was gonna meet someone, I was gonna be friends with them for at least a year before we started even talking about dating. We were gonna date for two years, be engaged for a year, and then get married. Yeah. <laughs> so Ken and I became exclusive pretty much right away. We first talked about getting married about four weeks after we first met in person. We were engaged within the year and got married nine months after that. <laughs> so I was wrong. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. So after I met Ken, he was living in Columbus and had a house in Columbus at the time. So my residency plan became large academic medical center in Columbus. So we didn't have to move. So we submitted a bunch of applications. Uh, so the way the residency process works, it kind of starts in July. So almost a year before you start your residency, you start going to these conferences and meeting with people and there's big, they call them showcases where everybody, every, resi every residency program has a booth and you go and you talk to them and you're in a suit and you're on your best behavior and everyone's super nervous because first impressions matter. And because you're super nervous, you often end up making kind of a dull and bland first impression. But you, we s this all starts in July the year previous. You start contacting people. Applications are due in December, the end of December, beginning of January. Then you go through this whole process where you're interviewing, if you get um, interviews at the different places. And then March 15th is match day. And the way that the match works is you go and you interview at all these different places. And the places that you interview, every candidate, oh, hold on, I have a slide for this. It just says the match. <laughs> but that's my plan. My plan was to have a slide. So you, you go and you interview at these programs, and every candidate ranks all the programs that they've interviewed with from number one through number whatever. And every program that interviews candidates ranks all the candidates that they've interviewed from one to number whatever. And then there's this algorithm, the match algorithm that turns all this information and spits out on March 15th, congratulations candidate, this is where you've matched to do your residency, or this is where you have, you have not matched, thank you, please try again. So you're not guaranteed anything. Who you match with, you kinda have to go, so don't rank somebody unless you would be willing to work there. And it's sort of this crazy, stress-filled time where you really have no idea what's gonna happen. So I submitted applications to somewhere between eight and 10 different programs in Columbus, and I got two interviews. 
which one was kind of disheartening in and of itself to get two interviews. One was at a large academic medical center in Columbus, so you really can't complain about that. But then on match day, I didn't match. So if you don't match, this whole nine-month process, we have the second match, which is that whole nine-month process compressed into three weeks. You have three weeks on, on match day, match results go out in the morning, and then on noon, a list comes out of all the programs that didn't match. You start making phone calls right away in the middle of being quite emotional about the fact that you haven't matched. You know, I mean, that, that, that's a pretty big thing because here's all these plans that I had been making <laughs> and I didn't match anyway. So I started making phone calls in the process of the second match, started submitting applications as soon as applications opened. I was on my way to a meeting for a, a committee that I was part of, so I literally was in the air when the applications opened on a plane and I landed and luckily like two weeks before I had just gotten a smartphone. And so I'm literally submitting my applications and paying for it on the tarmac right after I landed. <laughs> because in this case, like time matters. If they get, some, some programs get 500 applications for the second match and they have a week to review them all. So being in that first 100 matters in, in this process. So submitted a bunch and in the process of this whole second match process, one of my professors goes, hey, there's this hospital that I interned at that has been able to open up two more resident positions in the second match. I think you should apply and I'll put in a good word for you. So I applied and I got this email from this Christy Dewar at Altman Hospital inviting me to come and interview in this little town called Canton, Ohio that I had never really even heard of, let alone been to. <laughs> right, exactly. Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame. I, I still haven't been to that. I need to. So I drove up here, I interviewed, I ranked, and then second match day, I had matched at Altman Hospital, which was completely outside of our plan. We didn't, I mean, Ken has, still has a house in Columbus, and <laughs> we really didn't want to move and take on the second location, and it really wasn't what we had planned, but clearly it's what God had planned for us. So we got married. Um, about a month later, I started residency here. Three months later, Ken finally was able to move up here. Also not how we planned to spend our first few months of marriage, living in separate cities, two hours apart. And we finished the residency process. We had a lot of plans. But those weren't what God's plans were for us. I mean, clearly, God had this place for us to be. And this is where he has us for now. And the purpose of the Lord prevailed despite us working very hard to make our plans happen. Hold on. <coughs> so since then, there's been kind of a lot of other things that haven't quite gotten the way that we planned them to, but they've gone the way that God planned for them to go. And that's okay, because my plans aren't always the purpose that God has. And I kind of want to talk about that a little bit more as well. You're amazing, Jake. <laughs> Thank you. So as I'm kind of thinking on this subject of plans and what God has for us, pastoral care right there. <laughs> there are a couple of different verses that came to mind. And the first one was actually this. So in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. 
but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a woman, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall now fu know fully, even as I have been fully known. This side of heaven, there's no way that we're going to be able to see what God's plan is clearly. We have very finite minds, and we can't even understand what the full plan of God is. But that's okay. This side of heaven, we're going to see things dimly. So at this time, a mirror was like a polished piece of metal. So imagine trying to see yourself, your reflection clearly in that polished piece of brass or whatever it was. It's not a very accurate reflection. And so we see glimpses, and we see glimmers of what God's plan is. Now we see glimpses of glimmers of what God's plan is was for me through that whole process. But there's no way I'm going to be able to see that fully and see that clearly until I'm standing face to face with him. And part of that, no, is because of this. So Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I know this sounds weird, but this is kind of comforting to me. Because as I see how badly my plans go, and how, how much better what God has for me, it's kind of a comfort for me to know that he's got this and his ways are higher than, than my ways. And at the end of the day, his plans are for his glory and not my comfort. And he is working all things together, together for good, but it's for his higher good and his higher purpose and his higher ways, not my humanly good or my humanly purpose or my humanly ways. And I kind of like that. We may not be able to understand what it is because we are finite and he is not, but I kind of look forward to the day that we can see him face to face and, and be able to see that fully and be able to see that clearly. And then it's kind of hard to talk about plans without bringing up Jeremiah 29. And just as a little bit of context of this verse, so at this time um, when Jeremiah is talking to Israel, they're in the middle of exile. So they're living in Babylon and they're not living in the promised land. And God's message to the Israelites at this time is, you know, it's okay. Settle down. Work for the good of the city that you're in. Work to establish yourselves and to build yourselves because this isn't where I'm going to leave you. And so he says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, so there's a finite time that God has planned for this, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And I think the way that this often gets taken out of context is the plans for welfare and the plans for a future and the plans for hope aren't always our definition of welfare and future and hope. They're God's definition. And we're not going to be able to fully understand that and fully see that this side of heaven. But God will always work things out for what his definition of our welfare is, for what his definition of our future is, for what his definition of our hope is. And our God is a good God. And what he has planned for us is so much better for us and so much better for the story that he is weaving than we could ever even imagine. Our job isn't to define what's good for us. Our job is to seek him and continue to get to know him and to pursue him. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, 
but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. God has a plan for your life. You're not going to fully understand it this side of heaven. And his plan is for his glory, not necessarily our comfort. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you are a big God and that you are bigger than any circumstances and anything that we see here on earth. And I thank you that you do have a plan. And I thank you that that plan is so much better than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. And I pray that you would give us the, the faith and the trust to wait on your timing and to wait on your plan and in the meantime to seek you. And I pray that we would have faith in, in what you have in store in the, the middle of the moments where it's not going the way we planned it to. And I thank you especially for your redemptive work and for sending Christ to, to dwell with us and to die and to rise again so that we might have a relationship with you. In your name I pray. Amen. <laughs>